Good morning. Uh, my name is Mark Fesmeyer. If you haven't met me, and we're glad that you're here this morning. So we are going to go back to our study of 1 Corinthians 15. We've been talking about the gospel from this passage. And if you saw the little video that we sent out earlier this week, um, you know that I told the story about Vince Lombardi, who uh, one time began um, their first meeting as a team with the Green Bay Packers by saying, gentlemen, this is a football. And with that simple phrase, he told them, hey, we're going to go back to basics. We're going to go back to the fundamentals. And I think that's what Paul is saying in this chapter. He's saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel. Like, this is the foundation of what we're about. And so we've been working through our way through this. We've talked already about how the gospel means good news. It's about events that have happened that have changed the world. That it is about Jesus and his resurrection. And then we talked last week about how our resurrection is connected to his resurrection. And you can't deny the two. Like you can't deny Jesus was raised from the dead because there's all this evidence for it. You can't deny that. You can't say, oh, we're not going to get raised from the dead. They go together. You can't, you can't separate. If, if we aren't raised, that's what Paul says, then Christ didn't get raised from the dead. So we're going to go a little further. And I told you that this, this chapter, when you go to the very end of it, it says, therefore, be steadfast and movable. This is supposed to encourage us. This is supposed to motivate us. And we're going to get to that verse that I promised you we would get to where it says, then the end comes. We're going to talk about it today. So we've got lots of fun stuff to talk about. So would you just pray and ask the Lord to help you kind of shut everything else out and focus on the word? We just ask the Lord to do that for you, and then I'll pray for us. Father, we always, I always say this, we need your help when we come to your word. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would speak to us from your word this morning. May we hear what you are saying to us, and may we apply it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here last week, you know we ended with this verse. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So the gospel is about long life, eternal life. Life is not short. You are going to be you for a long, long time. And that's God's desire. That's God's design. So... The next thing he says, because he's he's been, like I said last week, he's almost been on a rant in the sense of just attacking this idea that there's no resurrection of the dead, because that was how the Greeks thought, and that had crept into the church for some people. So in response to that sentence of, hey, um, we're most to be pitied, he goes, but that's not the case. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So, no, none of that's true. We, there is a resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead, and we're going to be raised from the dead. And he uses this word, first fruits, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And remember, sleep is a 
euphemism for death. It's not saying people are asleep. They are, you know, to die is to be present with the Lord. So it's not that they're just kind of sleeping, but it's a euphemism. I can't even say that this morning for death. And so Christ is the first fruits. So what are first fruits? Those are blackberries, just because I'm going to tell you a story about figs, so no one should get confused. So uh, a friend of Kathy's gave her a turkey fig tree, and um, we planted it, and then Kathy has been tending it. Well, the first year, we really didn't get any, she didn't really get any figs. Second year, kind of, but they sort of didn't really develop. This year, she comes to me with a big smile on her face, and there were figs in her hand. She said, here, eat one of these. It was really delicious. It was the first fruit from the tree. And it actually gave a lot more this year. So the first fruit is the first, the first fruit that you get, and it is a promise of more. So Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. In other words, we know that Jesus, as God, took on humanity. So he was born and he had a body just like you and I do. It got tired. He had to eat. When he was crucified, his body bled and died, just like our bodies will die if Jesus doesn't come back before we pass away. But when he rose from the dead, he had a resurrected body, and that Paul's going to help us see later in this chapter that we are going to have that same kind of body. So he's the first fruit. He's the first of this resurrection. And then there's this beautiful symmetry here. And so Paul says, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So there's this beautiful picture again. How did death enter into the world? How did this world get the way it is? Because of Adam and Eve's sin. So sin came into the world, and so all of this evil, all of the brokenness, death, all of that resulted because of man. And so by man, Jesus, comes the resurrection from the dead. So there's this, this symmetry so in Adam and in Christ, let's just think about that for a minute. What does it mean to be in Adam and in Christ? Well, you don't have to do anything to be in Adam. Just be born and you're in Adam because we're all descendants of, of Adam and Eve. Just being a human means you're in Adam. But not everybody's in Christ, but you can be. That's the offer. That's the gospel. That through faith in him, you can be in Christ. And so we get this beautiful picture of, um, look, I'm, I'm born. I'm in Adam. Uh, Jesus, remember, he said to Nicodemus, unless you're born of water and the spirit. So kind of water is a reference to physical life. So that's, that's what Paul's saying here. So we get this picture of first fruits. Um, those in Adam are going to die. Those in Christ will be raised from the dead. And then we get this statement, but each in his own order. So there's an order to this. Christ, the first fruits, Jesus comes first. 
After that, those who are Christ's at his coming, Jesus is coming back, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. Wow. Let me read that again. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. This is God's plan. And the order is real simple. Jesus gets raised from the dead. Then we get raised from the dead, if we're dead at his time, at Christ's coming. What's next? Christ's coming. And then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority. Now, if you know this word, eschatology, you know that word? How many know what that word is? Okay. Eschatology, ology, like biology, you know, study. Esca, last. And so eschatology is the field of theology that tries to take the scriptures and make sense of all the things we're told about what's in the future. And if you have done any reading in that, you will know that there are not just one or two opinions about that. There are lots and lots and lots of opinions about that. And they have all kinds of charts and proofs and timelines and expectations. Um, here's the cliff notes. Jesus is coming back. And every single Bible-believing, God-honoring position has this in it. Jesus comes back. Now, they might say a couple things have to happen first. They might have to, you know, blah, 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 blah. But here's what I want you to see. We are never told to anticipate those things. They might be referenced. But look at what Paul writes to Titus. He says, for by the grace of God, or for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for what? What are we supposed to look for? The blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. The thing that we are to anticipate, the thing that we are to look for, the thing that we are to watch out for is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is coming back. Everybody who's orthodox, and I mean by that Bible-believing, understands that. If they have some other kind of view, it's not scriptural. This is the core. This is what we're waiting for. And there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of concern. And I remind you of what Jesus said. He said to us, "Do in the world you will have tribulation. Do not let your heart be troubled. 
I have overcome the world. So let's go back to this passage. Let's read it again. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he's abolished all rule, all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's what Jesus is doing right now. That's what's happening in our world today. You say, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Yes, and one of the things that we don't understand is how do all these what seem to be tectonic plates, how do, how do they all work together? Well, one of the things that's happening, if you think about world history, if you think about what's going on in the world, is evil burns itself out. I mean, just think of the powerful world civilizations that we read about in the scriptures. When I was in sixth grade, that's a whole different story, but my teacher, um, let's just say she wasn't the nicest teacher that I ever had. So she, we were, we were going to talk about the Roman Empire, and so she wanted us to know, mention about world empires. Well, you know, I'd read Daniel. I was at Sunday school. I talked about the Babylon. I raised my hand to the Babylon. He goes, Babylon is not an empire. It's like, lady, check your history books. It was. So think about all these civilizations that have happened and how they seem so powerful. Think about how powerful Rome seemed in the New Testament. You know, you said Jesus is Lord and you got in trouble because they wanted you to say Caesar was Lord. And, and so you've got all this stuff. It burns out. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Jesus is at work now to bring things to conclusion. The only thing, the only thing we need to think about, because it has something to do with what we do, is our mission. Because in Matthew 24, when the disciples say, hey, when is the sign of your coming? What does he say? This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to what? You should know this. All the nations. This is in Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the nations, and then the end will come. So he is reigning right now to put everything under his feet so that he can return and hand the kingdom over to the Father. Now, don't get into all the eschatology stuff about that, about all of what that's going to look like. Just understand we are told to look for Christ's coming, and that's what we're supposed to anticipate. So um, I was reading a book, surprise, <laughs> I was reading a book that used this illustration, and I love it. I just love it. So the author said there are three ways to, to end a chess game. The first is checkmate. And if you've ever played chess, you know what that is. One player wins. The other is that, a uh, second one, is that both players have kind of depleted all their pieces and, and no one can win. It's impossible to win because there's no way to create checkmate. And so they call it a draw. That's the second way. The third way is one player gets mad and knocks the board over. 
And the author said, too many of us think that's what God is going to do with the world. He's just going to get ticked off and knock the board over. What did Jesus say? He is going to defeat every enemy. He's not playing to knock the board over. He's playing to win. He wins. And we are a part of that victory. So, verse 26 says, And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. There will be no more death. No more tears. No more loss of a loved one. Jesus wins. You know, um, I was an English lit major, and uh, John Donne wrote a, an amazing sonnet. He, uh, he had a number of different jobs before he became a cleric in the church. He lived in the late 1500s, early 1600s. And this is a sonnet. He wrote some, um, he wrote a lot of poetry, but some of it was, was spiritual in nature. And this was about death. And I've just given you the first and the last um, parts of it. But he, he says, death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. And then he goes and mocks death. He just mocks it. He says, look at the company you keep. You know, you keep, keep, you keep company with things like murderers and poison, you know, that kind of stuff. It's a great poem. But this is the last line. He goes, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death Thou shalt die. I love that. There is going to be no more death. So, what's the timeline? What are we supposed to look for? We're supposed to look for Jesus' return. We're supposed to look for Jesus to come back. And we need to recognize that he is reigning now. And you and I get to be a part of that that rule and reign, we get to be a part of that as we engage in the gospel, as we engage in allowing God to work through us, as we push down the things and and deal with the things in our own lives that are counter, as we are transformed into Christ-likeness. So I have a challenge for you. So Jesus made this statement. He said, he is faithful in a little thing, is faithful also in much. And you know that you are, according to what we learn in the scriptures, you are going to rule and reign with Jesus as a follower of him. So for Jesus to be able to entrust things to you, you need to be faithful. You need to grow in that. So I have a challenge for you. It's just a little challenge. Um, We all have things that we rule well over, things you do well. And we probably all have a corner of our house where we are not necessarily reigning well over it. We'll just call it chaotic. Not my definition of chaotic or, you know, your definition of chaotic. You would look at some places that I have organized and say, that is chaotic. But that's not the point. The point is, you probably have a place in your house, a drawer, a closet, that needs a little order. So here's my challenge to you. My challenge is pick one, 
not, not all of them, pick one and organize it, reign over it. Why? Because you want to, in just a moment, say, I want to reign with Jesus over this stuff that is driving me nuts. I want to reign over it and just celebrate the fact that Jesus is going to make sense of all the chaos around it. There is so much anger, so much fear, so much confusion, so much worry. And I remind you that Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. I have overcome the world. So I challenge you to do a little reigning in your kingdom this week as a celebration of the fact that Jesus wins. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're not just tipping the, the chessboard over. You're not just blowing it up. That you are winning. And that we are a part of that victory. May we anticipate Jesus' return. May we live in the ways that are sensible and godly. And may we proclaim the gospel. May we proclaim it here in the way we live. May we proclaim it every opportunity we get. Maybe it isn't even with our words, but it's in our actions. We thank you, Jesus, that you are reigning and you are at work now. Help us to see you where you were at work and join you in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.